All right, guys, Colossians chapter 4. Open up your Bibles and let's get started. And we will be closing out Colossians uh, this morning. Uh, This has been a super fun study for me to go through and to to work through with you guys. And, um, you know, I've taught through Colossians before, but I I don't think that I've ever gleaned as much. And I hope that this is my experience every time I I approach a book of the Bible, every time I open the Word, that I grow and I learn more. Um, And that's just the the amazing um, realization we can come to when we're in God's Word, that you'll never mine everything out of it. It's so deep, it's fathomless. And so Colossians chapter 4 this morning, we'll be picking up in verse 7. And as we prepare for that, I just want to share a proverb with you guys that kind of sets the tone for what we're going to be talking about as Paul closes out this letter with um, basically a a, a roster. It's like his own list of people who have been standing by his side. Um, And this is what Proverbs 18.24 says, and I'm reading the New Living Translation from this. It says, there are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. There are friends who tear each other apart, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Nothing proves friendship like hardship. Nothing proves a friendship like going through a hardship. You can have friends that you've just kind of hung out with in the past. and be like, yeah, they're, they're my buddies, they're my friends. But the friendships that are real strong, the ones that you look back on and go, that person was so solid through all these times, they're the one that stood with you through a really tough season. They're the one that didn't abandon you even though they were frustrated with you or even though you were in a really hard place. They stuck with you. They stuck it out by your side. These are the friends, those who are truly friends. Don't leave your side no matter what condition you're in and no matter what the risk to their own situation, association with you threatens. In other words, they stand by you even if what you're going through could threaten their health or could threaten what they're, you know, what they're seen as. A lot of times we will see people abandon other people because I can't be seen as being with you. My reputation would take too large of a hit. You know, it's too dangerous to be nearby you. And you're like, ah, what chumps? Well, all the disciples struggled this before we like look at people and be like, ha, chumps, you know, not sticking by your friends. They all abandoned Jesus, you know, like when he was in that situation and Peter even denied him three times when somebody was like, hey, weren't you with, with him? Aren't you a Galilean? Yeah. You know, I saw you with this guy and Peter's like, no, no, no. We've all, we've all failed in this way, but we don't want to be friends like that. We want to be people who stand by each other's side, no matter what the cost, if that's the right thing to do. And as we close out Colossians 4, Paul's going to list the friends with him in Rome who have stood by him, even in his current circumstances, which is chains. He's in chains waiting his trial before Nero. And so he's here in Colossae, or he's here in Rome writing to the Colossians, but he's saying, these are the people that have stood by me that have not abandoned me as he awaits trial. And I want to remind you guys, Paul's situation is a dangerous association. It's a dangerous association to have with somebody who's imprisoned by Rome and waiting trial. This is a dangerous association. And when you're friends or co-laborers with a prisoner of Rome, you could end up sharing that fate. You could end up sharing the same fate. But does that make it something that you should abandon? Do we abandon something because we look at it and go, this is getting too risky for me? Is it right? Is it the right thing to do? It's interesting. William Penn once said this, right is right even if everyone is against it, and wrong is wrong even if everyone is for it. Right is right even if everyone is against that, and wrong is wrong even if the whole world is going after what's wrong. You plant your feet and stand firm in what's right. I love that quote. Because here I think we see people 
we see the men and women who stood by Paul and said, no, this is the right thing to do, even at risk to themselves. And as we'll see, one of these people is in chains with him, is actually imprisoned with him. Prayerfully, we want to look at these examples that Paul gives us in Colossians 4, and we want to examine our lives, and we want to examine how faithful we are to those, even if being associated with someone will make others look ill upon us, is it the right thing to do? And ultimately, we look at this with Christ. We look at this in in our walk with Jesus. If Jesus said this, as culture continues to turn against Jesus in our country, here in our country, as culture continues to turn against Christ, are we living a life that says, I don't care if the whole world thinks that what God says is right is wrong. I'm standing with the Lord. You know, as Joshua would say to the children of Israel, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You know, you guys can do what you choose to do, but we are standing firm here. So, as we think about these things, let's read our final text here in Colossians chapter 4, and then we'll break it down bit by bit and look at these people that Paul recognizes. Picking up in verse 7, Colossians 4, 7 reads this way. Tychicus, I'm going to stumble over these, so just get, you know, just roll with me. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I've sent him to you for this, this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. Verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He's always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Hierapolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you've received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with you, or greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, and grace be with you. A very typical Pauline ending, uh, offering grace at the end of his, his letters. And even several different places, we know that Paul was struggling physically in some ways. He would sign the letter off himself, but he would have someone else who was writing it for him for the bulk of the letter. So going back to verse 7, let's kind of break these people down and talk about who we're, who we're looking at, where we see them in Scripture, and why these names are names that we should at least learn from, if not remember, when we go through the Bible. Tychicus, he's, he names first in verse 7. He says, he's a dearly loved brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. He says he's going to bring news about me. And, and one thing that we know about Tychicus was he was from a Roman province in Asia, And along with bringing this letter to the Colossians, he also carried the letter to the Ephesians with him. And so he was going to deliver two letters on his trip. And he was responsible not just to deliver the letter, but notice this. Paul entrusted personal detail to Tychicus to deliver to the Colossians. You notice there's not a lot of personal detail about Paul. There's some little nuggets. But for the most part, what do we really see in Colossians? It was instruction for the church. 
It was calling out the Gnosticism that was cropping up in this area. And it wasn't just for the Colossians. We know that, as he references here, we're talking about the tri-city area of Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae, these three cities. And by the, by the way, we talked about this at the beginning, two of which we found remains of. They never really found anything definitive from Colossae. There's been some ideas, but nothing like super solid. Um, what's interesting about this is that Paul trusted Tychicus to deliver these personal details rather than including them in the letter. And the reason that's interesting to me is because how much word of mouth and coming and sharing about people's lives is still imparted by the church fathers as you read through history. He's trusting that the details will be delivered by Tychicus in this way, and the letters were written to address issues of faith and church conduct. They're very specifically written, and they're written for a purpose. They weren't written so that we could pull these little details out about Paul's life. Paul was very focused on why he was giving these letters. It was to build the churches up. It was to strengthen them against heresy. And it was to further down the road be instruction for us as well as we continue on. The personal details would be told to them verbally as we can see here. Now thinking of others, notice this. Tychicus and the way that he's supposed to come and and minister to them, I want you to think about what Paul says here, and you can read it with me again. He says, I sent him to you for this very purpose, verse 8 says, so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts, so that you can know how we're doing and encourage you, encourage your hearts with this. Now, notice this. We we know this because I just gave you the cheater. Where is Paul? He's in chains, Right? He's imprisoned. You're like, well, it's probably like Roman house prison. He's still in chains. He's still not free. You know, he had more freedoms than maybe someone who wasn't a Roman, but he was still waiting his trial. He still went to Rome in chains. I want you to think about this. He is sending Tychicus to minister to them to encourage their hearts. He's thinking about them in his place of imprisonment. He's thinking about their encouragement and how they're built up. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4. First thing that popped into my mind when I read this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Caring for other people, even when you're in a bad spot. A lot of times we justify our lack of care for other people because of where we're at. Because of how we're struggling. Right now, I just got to focus on me. Listen, Paul had earned some me time by our standards. He should have been having some serious me time, trying to work through his issues as he sits in jail and awaits trial. But he's writing letters to encourage the church from chains. You guys, it's a very counterculture way to think about others when you are in a bad place. Culture tells us to do what? I'll just spend some time really thinking about, you know, and investing in you. You need to invest in you right now. I would love to watch Paul have a conversation with somebody who's like, Paul, just invest in you for a while. Is he saying that, uh, am I saying that we shouldn't rest? No, we should rest. Should we be spending time in the word? Yeah, absolutely. You can bet Paul was, but the point of it is this. He's not dwelling on the dire circumstances he's in. He's looking to be a servant and to bless people in the midst of it. And if Paul can write letters like this from prison, we can be effective in what we're going through right now. Whatever's going on in our world. Well, I can't meet with the people in my church. So, I, you know, I, there's, there's COVID and there's all these other things. Listen, we have to find ways to minister. We have online ministry we can do. We have ways to send things to people to bless them. We can make a phone call. He's writing letters and having them sent by people that would take months for them to get there. 
We can connect with somebody instantly. There's no excuse for us to be so self-focused. And in fact, when you look at Scripture, we shouldn't be doing anything, Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility be looking to bless others. We need to consider them more important than ourselves. We shouldn't be looking to our own interests. Now, here's the thing. That doesn't mean we ignore what we have in our lives. That means that what we have a focus to be is a blessing to others always. We are looking to bless other people all the time. It's something that's a focus for our lives. So Tychicus is going to bless these people. It's the reason why Paul sent him. And he's not traveling alone. Look at verse 9. He's coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They'll tell you about everything here. He's also entrusting the message about his situation to a servant, a slave, who was a runaway slave. We know this because we talked about this a couple weeks ago as well. Onesimus is the runaway slave from a man called Philemon. The letter of Philemon was written about Onesimus who had run away, found his, he ran away from his master Philemon, found his way in Rome to Paul, got saved, and now Paul says, I'm sending back a very special guy to you, Philemon. And he's not just a slave now, he's a brother. He's a brother in Christ. He goes, you need to receive him as a brother. Now Paul doesn't label Onesimus here as a runaway slave either. Look how he labels him. Look at this. He is coming with Onesimus, a what? Runaway piece of garbage slave. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not mine either. He says, a faithful and dearly loved brother. We talked about this a couple weeks ago as well. Do you remember what the perception of culture at this time, the Greek culture and the Roman culture, what it was of slaves? They were trash. They didn't have rights. You could kill them and it wouldn't matter if you were their master. They had no rights whatsoever. They, they had no value. And Paul says this about Onesimus, not here's this runaway slave. He says he's our faithful and dearly loved brother. Now, think about this, church. For some of us, there's a temptation a lot of times, I think, to relabel ourselves the way that we were in the past, to be brought under the label of who we were in our flesh. And I want to encourage you guys to remember that God does not see us that way. He does not see us that way. In Christ, faithful, loved, a brother, a sister, it's family now. It's church. You have been remade. You are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17, super clear about this. And over and over again, we see in the New Testament that you have been made new because of Jesus. Don't wear the old label. Don't try and put on the old garments. When Paul says here that Onesimus is a faithfully loved brother, he's saying this, all the old has passed away, the new has come. He is in Christ now. He isn't worthless. And this is really powerful stuff when you think about this. Jesus does not see us as thieves, as liars, as adulterers. He doesn't see us as people who are murdering people in our thoughts every time they cut us off in traffic. What he sees us as, you like that one? What he sees us as, he sees us as his children. He has changed who we are. We've been remade in him. We're dearly loved and we're people that he died to save. And I think that seeing that in Onesimus' life is powerful because it reminds us that God has changed our status And the only person that's trying to bring back that labeling is us. The only one who tries to bring that back is ourselves. When we feel condemned for our past, we feel condemned for the things that we've done, that's not how God sees us. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. Amen? 
Love that verse. No condemnation. We're not in sin and death anymore. We're in life in Christ. We've been forgiven. Verse 10. He continues on. More people. Aristocrus, my, fa- my fellow prisoner, sends you... My fellow prisoner sends you greetings as does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. He says, you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. He says, so does Justice, who's called, or Jesus, who's called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. Now, Aristarchus was from Thessalonica. He makes several appearances throughout the book of Acts. His name will pop up here and there as Paul journeys around. And it's interesting because one of his appearances is in Acts 19 as he got drug into a into a, the middle of a crowd by a mob in Ephesus. Remember the riot in Ephesus? Great as Artemis of the Ephesians, and they screamed it for hours and hours and hours. And, and the writer, you know, Luke's like, you know, most of the people didn't even know why they were there. They're just in mob mentality, just screaming something over and over again. We haven't seen that recently. You know, it, it's funny because my wife was talking to me about this. She's like, Can, like what, is this, what does this make you think of when, when you see all the stuff that's going on in our cities right now? It's like, Ephesus. It makes me think of Ephesus. Half the people that are there don't even know why they're there. Just people are mad and I'm going to show up. You know, and this is mostly for the people who are looting and doing damage. It's like, do you even know why you're here? I don't know about, okay, I want to be sensitive here. There are things that we should protest. There are things we should be upset about. We should never be okay with racism. We should never be okay with people being marginalized. We should always care about people who are poor and destitute. We need to bring those people in. The gospel is inclusive. It's the great equalizer. Amen? The gospel says all people are of equal value. Slave, barbarian, Scythian, Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter. They're all loved by God. They're all created by God. So let's just start there. But when I see a bunch of people who are holding up signs and making symbols with their hands that they don't understand because I've had conversation with them and asked them, do you understand what you're doing? They don't understand. Don't be a part of something unless you understand what you're a part of. Do your research. Understand the background of things that people are upset about. We need to know. We can't just bandwagon and jump on board of things because I don't want to be a part of a riot in Ephesus. I don't mind getting pulled into the crowd like this guy did. You know, Aristarchus is like, whoa, because he's hanging out with Paul. He just gets yanked into this mob. That's fine. You're like, that's fine. Yeah, I'd rather be that guy than someone who's out there going, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. Who? I don't know. Everyone else is yelling it. Everyone else is mad. Everyone else is posting something right now. Please don't post things if you don't know what they mean. And please don't post something that will associate you with something that you probably don't want to be associated with. Make a statement for Christ. You always want to be associated with him. Stand up for people. Go spend time with people. Hang out with people that are not the same color as your skin. Pour into them. Invite them to church. We want them here. Amen, brother. So here's the thing. This guy stuck with Paul. No matter what the circumstances, whether it was a a riot that was happening in Ephesus in Acts 19, or when Paul was being shipped to Rome in chains, Aristarchus was there with him boarding the ship. Acts chapter 27. It's fair to assume that he's been with Paul at this point since then. Because it's only, it was only two years that Paul waited trial in Rome. And so when they shipped out and were heading there, Paul was in chains. It says Aristarchus is with him in Acts 27. This is a guy who's around when things aren't easy. This is a guy who is around and with Paul when it's not easy to be called a friend of Paul. In fact, here he is with Paul in chains. And he says, Aristarchus says, heads up. He's here with me in jail. 
right? This is the kind of guy you want around. When things were bad, when there was tribulations, he was by Paul's side. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. This guy was not bailing on Paul because things got hard. Now, speaking of guys who bailed on Paul, Mark. For those of you who know the New Testament, Mark, Barnabas' cousin, is noted early on in the book of Acts as being a man who bailed on Paul and Barnabas during their first missionary journey. And it's interesting here because Mark has, has an extensive history throughout the church in, in, in the early first century because Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark, which is commonly accepted as the account of Peter. That when you read the Gospel of Mark, you're really getting the Gospel according to Peter through Mark. And so, and, and you see this connection between Mark and Peter, especially in First Peter. Um, but there had been a conflict with Paul in the past. And this, this conflict had ended up with when they came back, he abandoned Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey, part of the way through it. And then when they went to leave on their second journey, Paul and Barnabas were going to go again. And, and Barnabas is like, hey, let's bring my cousin Mark. And Paul's like, nope, he's a quitter. Right? And Barnabas is like, is not. And they get into a tussle over it. I don't think blows were thrown. We don't know. But then Barnabas and Mark head off in a different direction. And Paul grabs Silas and he takes off on his second missionary journey. And so there had been a falling out, but somewhere along the way, reconciliation had happened. Reconciliation had happened. Christians, sometimes we're going to disagree with each other. Sometimes we're going to have disagreements. Sometimes we're going to argue. Sometimes there's going to be a break in fellowship. Here's my goal, that we would always find our way back to each other, that we would find a way to reconcile. It may take years. It did here. It took a long time. And Mark journeyed. Some have suggested that he actually went on to plant in that time period where he broke off from Paul, that he went and planted the church in Alexandria, um, which there's some reasons they believe that. We don't know if it's true or not. You can't really validate it. But Mark was still doing some kind of ministry. Either way, Mark had come back into Paul's life, and he's a trusted companion now. And it's interesting because they had repaired this broken relationship, and it really gives me hope for relationships that I've seen broken that I would love to have repaired. I don't know about you guys, but there are relationships with believers that just aren't good right now. I don't know if you guys go through that, how often you go through it. It seems like in ministry, and in a pastoral role, this happens a lot. It happens a lot where you just you see things differently. People move on. They get upset. And so much as it depends upon me, it's my job to be peace, peaceable towards those people. And sometimes I look back and I go, I could have done that a lot better. But here's the thing. No matter what, I really hope and pray that reconciliation happens down the road for many of those relationships. And I have hope that they will because I look at this as an example that it can. Sometimes, though, I think uh, we want reconciliation to happen instantly, and it takes time. And so let that time happen. Let the Lord soften your heart, soften other people's hearts, and bring those things together. It makes sense, understanding the backstory, why Paul would then write to the Colossians, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. You're like, why would he write that? Well, because they'd had a falling out, and the Colossians knew about this. And he's saying, hey, if Mark shows up, we're cool. Receive him, right? And, and that's, that's me paraphrasing. That's the message version. He says, they may not have received, um, I don't think they would have received Mark based on the prior abandonment, but Paul urges them to receive him graciously here. Are we gracious? Are we encouraging? Are we looking to reconcile? Are we trying to restore relationships? And so finishing off verse 11, he mentions a guy named Justice, about whom we know nothing. 
Um, there really is no connection to who Justice is. His name is here. He's a companion of Paul. Um, and we know um, that Paul wasn't received well, according to Acts 28, in the city of Rome. There really wasn't a huge reception for him when he arrived there. But he says, these alone are the, the crew of the circumcision. These guys, they've stuck by me. These guys have been there for me. There's a core group of people around him that comforted and supported him in his imprisonment. And I think we need to remember this at this juncture. God has not called us to be in isolation. God has not called us to be in a place where we are standing alone. He calls us to community. And even if, it, even if it's a struggle and even if it's a small community, it's a community. It's still a body of believers and we're to be encouraging each other and in each other's lives. He continues on, verse 12. Don't worry, I'll start whipping these out. Here we go. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He's always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. He says, for I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea, Hierapolis, remember the Tri-City area. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Now, Epaphras was the minister of the church in Colossae. We read about him in Colossians 1.7. And Epaphras is this guy who has been faithful. Over and again, Paul says he's a faithful minister on your behalf. And it appears that he's not just the minister to Colossae, but also to Hierapolis and Laodicea, that he ministers to all of these cities. But don't miss this amazing little nugget that we get here in this verse. What did Paul ask the Colossians to devote themselves to in verse 2 of this chapter? We went over this last week. Colossians 4.2 says this, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. You can't call a church to devote themselves to something that their minister is not also devoted to himself. You can't ask a church to be something that is not modeled by their pastor. Look at who we have here in Epaphras. He's always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. A church that prays will be begotten from a pastor who prays. You know, because, and we've ta- I've talked about this a lot with especially ministers, but a lot of people over the years, um, that churches really start to reflect their pastor. They start to reflect what the way that they're being exemplified, who's, who's standing before them. Who's, and <laughs> Christy makes a face. She's like, oh, man, we're going to start looking like Mike. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. Everyone's like, we all should get forearm tattoos. Oh, let's go. Let's go. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, but like you understand like the attitude and the heart and the, 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 the spirit that's being taught with, that's being poured into the people. They start to reflect that. They start to reflect that heart. And I can't ask this church to be a church who prays passionately and devotes themselves to prayer if I am not a man who devotes myself to prayer, who's given to these things. I can't ask you guys to live out things with power, with conviction that I myself am not living out. It's hypocritical. It's what the problem with the, heres- with the, the Pharisees, I almost call them the heresies, the fer- same thing. The Pharisees, th- this is the problem they had. Do all of these things, but we're not going to do them. These are the things that you should do. Do as I say, not do as I do. That's garbage. We should never accept that from pastors in the pulpit. We should never accept that as, as parents. You know, do as I say, don't do as I do. That's bad parenting. That's not funny. 
I mean, we're laughing sometimes. It's like, you know, where did my kid learn to throw a temper tantrum like that and throw wrenches around the garage? Where do you think? That one time you stubbed your toe and you didn't think anyone was in the garage? They're learning it from you. Because they're not going to learn from the things you say as much as they're going to learn from the things you do. Because what you do is what you believe. And the reason that Paul could say to the church in Colossae, devote yourselves to prayer, is because their minister was devoted to prayer. He was watching him do it in his presence. Epaphras wasn't like, oh yeah, I pray for that church so much. He didn't say, Epaphras has come to me and said he prays for you a lot. He doesn't say that at all. He is wrestling for you in his prayers. Paul's watching him do it. Do you realize what it's like to wrestle for someone in, their pr- in your prayer? <laughs> this shouldn't be like you flopping around in the closet at all. You're like, ah! That's, I don't think that's what it looked like at all. I think we all know what it's like to wrestle in prayer. Does it... This is free. This isn't in the notes. Is that something that we've considered, by the way? How often do we pray when it's convenient or pray quietly or pray just, you know, prayer should be solemn. Prayer should be nose turned up towards lots of these and thous and no more than three minutes long and no shorter than one and a half minutes long. Do we have like these, these impressions of what prayer is like? Look at the way Jesus prayed in the garden. Look at the way that these guys are praying for their churches. They're crying out to God. They're wrestling. They're struggling in it. And, and he's crying out to God because he wants to see this church be mature. He wants to see them fully assured in everything God wills because there is heresy in this region. Paul's been dealing with it all throughout this letter. And, and Epaphras is broken over. He's like, don't let them fall to this. He's crying out to God on their behalf. I want us to think about who the ultimate example of prayer is in Scripture. This is an easy one. It's the one that your Sunday school teachers used to give you the one-word answer for, right? <laughs> exactly. Who, who is the best example of prayer in the Bible? Jesus, right? Why? Because he talked about it a lot? You're like, well, he did give us the Lord's Prayer. Sure he did. Is that all he did for himself? Did he just repetition, just pray that, you know, here and there every now and then, and then that was good. You know, I'll just say this prayer and you'll be fine. Is that why he gave us the Lord's Prayer? Jesus showed us what it was like to pray passionately. He showed us what it was like to get up before anyone else was up and be praying and to stay up later than everyone else was up late praying and how to pray over your disciples and how to pray in times of distress. Read all the prayers of Jesus throughout the Gospels and I challenge you, spend spend years in John 17 at the High Priestly Prayer. It is one of the most powerful prayers in Scripture. Jesus prayed constantly. And if he's our example, we need to be a people who pray. We need to be a people who pray often, who pray passionately, who wrestle in prayer. As Paul would say in Romans 12, 12, be persistent in prayer. I think that this is my calling as a pastor is to follow that example and to strive for that always, to be a man who looks like Jesus in prayer who prays like Christ did. That's, that's my goal. Just be a man who prays like Jesus prays. Not the same words. I mean, a lot of them will sound similar. But like, I don't want to be repetitious. I want to be so given and connected to God in prayer that I have to have it. You know, that I'll end up being like Martin Luther says, I got a really busy day today. I got to start with at least six hours of prayer. I hope that that's not fake, but I read that and my heart just goes, it's like, you know, shutting down the shields. I don't feel like I'm up for that. Like, 
you know, oh, I got a really long day today. I better get up early and pray for six hours. But you know what? If I got up early and prayed more often and continued doing that, this is just a fresh challenge for all of us. I wonder what kind of a difference it's going to make in us. You see, because prayer doesn't change the will of God. Prayer aligns our hearts with God's will. And it moves his hand. How many times is God not moving because he's waiting for us to sync up with him? That's what happens in prayer. I want to see God do so many things. And so many of those things I know have not happened because I am not in a place of prayer connecting with him for them. One of the greatest things that Wes Bentley ever said to me, he's the founder of Far Reaching Ministries, he said, you know, we, we have this desire to build this huge chaplain's complex, all these great things. He goes, it hasn't happened yet because we haven't started praying for it yet. But when we do, it's going to happen. You know, you look at someone like that and be like, well, that's a little uh, boastful or, you know, maybe a little confident. You know what happened? As soon as they started praying for it, it happened. They didn't have the funding. They just started praying for it, and God provided, and it happened. You guys, prayer is so powerful. I think if we actually understood the extent of that power, we would never cease to pray, as Paul told the church in Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. There is so much power in prayer, not to control God, to be synchronized with him, to know what he's doing and be empowered for that task. He continues on, and he says, Luke, He brings up Luke and the author of the Gospel of Luke and the writer of the book of Acts. And interestingly enough, this is the only location where his profession is mentioned. The physician. Luke the physician. It's interesting because the man following him gets no comments or no qualifiers and no additional information. Demas. Now Luke we know as being someone who's faithful, who's with Paul, spends time with him. We, we, we assume, because Paul we know had some physical problems, Luke was most likely attending to those issues. But what's interesting about Demas is no extra information is given about him, but we do have Demas referenced in another place in Scripture. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we know that Demas loved this present world and abandoned Paul. It's interesting here, there's nothing but his name included. He's here, but there's really nothing around it. And I don't know if there's, you know, I don't want to like draw a big line there and connect it, but it's interesting that nothing is really said about him except his name. And the next time he's referenced, he's abandoned Paul. He's chasing after things of the world. Let us be people who are faithful, who are prayer warriors, who are given to the work of the ministry and not just present. That's why I always encourage people in bodies to be serving and working and doing things. Don't just be there, be present. You realize that that sedentary spiritual life, that complacency leads to bad things. Be involved, be investing in people. Be doing the work of the ministry that God's given you. He has given us all a ministry, and we'll see that here as we look at Archippus in a minute. Verse 15, give my greetings, he says, to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea, to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter's been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. He says, I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, and grace be with you. Uh, Throughout the letters of the New Testament, we see home churches recognized. Um, We know that that's really the situation of the church. There was no mega church buildings or anything like that. The early Christian church was meeting in the home. 
probably in multiple homes in larger cities. And there may be a day coming where we see more of that. I mean, we kind of got a little taste of that, didn't we? It's our own version, the online ministry thing during COVID the last few months. Um, But there is a usefulness and there is a strength there. It's really the basis for our desire to be a part of home groups. Meeting in the home, being in close fellowship with people, it's such a blessing. It's the strength of my walk when I look at gatherings. I love Sunday mornings, but I get more connection time, more like down and dirty, like dealing with issues in life and, and passionate times of prayer and connection in home group. I love home group. I love being in the house, studying the word together, having conversations with people. It's why, you know, we're really looking for ways this coming fall to um, infuse gospel DNA into the body and be encouraging people to get together in small groups uh, beginning this fall. And we're looking at some ways to do that, and the leadership team's pretty excited about some of these ideas we have. Um, but I want to encourage you guys to get plugged into groups and homes. It's it's a powerful way to stay connected and there's something special about it, and it was definitely special for the early church, especially living in a time of persecution, in a time where they didn't have freedom to gather large groups of them in places. He says this in verse 16, After this letter has been read at your gathering, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans. See that you also read the letter from Laodicea. There's a lot of debate as to where this letter is, what it could be. I read some fascinating ideas. You know, this could be the letter to the Laodiceans, or this could be another thing over here. There's a lot of debate. I read through a ton of different submissions, and I've come to the following scholarly opinion. Alan already knows where I'm going because he just smiled and dipped his head. We don't know. That's my official scholarly opinion. We don't know. Because there's a lot of these guys who I really think it's this. Probably because it sounds the coolest, not because it actually has some solid background as to why you would believe that. You know, there's different ideas of, you know, like, who wrote the book, the book of Hebrews. I have some really fun things to submit to that, but I can't teach any of them because we don't know. You know, Spurgeon went as far to like say that Paul did write it and Paul wrote here. I'm like, no, 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 no. It doesn't say that. You know, it doesn't say that. Be careful. You know, but like we, we, we just don't know. Where's the letter to the Laodiceans? I don't know, but God knew it wasn't going to be in the Bible. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. There's a reason it's not here. But we know there was a letter written for them and it was to be read in Colossae as well. He goes on in verse 17. We're closing it up. Are you guys excited? Dudes, we, like, we've been in Colossians for a while. This is fun. Last two verses. Here we go. Tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you've received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. He says, I'm writing this with my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. With so much contained in this letter, with so much being written in the letter to the Colossians, it's hard to not want to go back and reteach it from beginning again. And next week, Colossians 1. Be like, oh, this, this is awful. Mike's awful. No, but like, it's, I know that we would find new things. I know that we would grow in fresh ways. And we're not going to. We're going somewhere else. But, but I, I just, I think it's really cool that he ended with this. Not just his way of saying, this is me, I'm done, signing off. He gives grace. You know, he does his normal, you know, uh, signing off phraseology, grace be with you. He says, remember my chains. And that's something that's important. But I want you to notice in verse 17 what he says. Tell Archippus. Pay attention to the ministry you've received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. Pay attention to what God's given you. After all the practical things that we read in this letter about putting on the new man, 
about being husbands, about being wives, about being parents and being children, about being good workers and good bosses, all of the different things that we've studied through, how Jesus is the creator of all things, that everything was made by him and was made for him, and it's all giving glory to him. All of these amazing things that we read. He closes out by saying, look at what God has given you and be faithful to it. Look at what is in front of you and remember to be faithful. Be a faithful steward of what God has given to you. Folks, that's our families. That's our husbands. That's our wives. That's our children. That's our parents. That's our church. It's our jobs. It's our bosses. It's our coworkers. It's our employees. It's our classmates. It's our teachers. Be faithful to the ministry that God has given to you. God has given us all a ministry, and we need to be faithful to it. Pay attention to it. Don't get caught up in the next thing and miss the present thing. Don't get caught up in where God is taking you and miss what he is doing in your life today. It's very fitting that Paul closes with the following three things. A charge to be faithful to the ministry that's been given to us by God, a charge to remember those who are in trouble. To remember those, he says, remember my chains. Look after people, pray for people, reach out to people who are not in a good place. Be faithful to the ministry in front of you and look for other people who are in a bad spot. Minister to them, pray for them, and be covered in the grace of God. Be absolutely enveloped by the grace of God. I could easily go through this letter again. And I know that God would minister to us in fresh ways. But I encourage you guys, don't make this the last time that we've gone verse by verse through Colossians. Do it often. Go through God's word, line upon line. Read through it bit by bit. See what God has for us there. And remember that it opens and ends with grace. It begins in understanding by God opening our minds and our eyes to see his truth. And this story, our story, will close with the grace of God. It'll come to fruition in his grace when he takes us home and we're with him forever. Hold fast and let that be your hope. Your life began with the grace of God and it'll end in the grace of God. Stay close to Jesus. Be faithful to the things he's given us to do. And in due season, as Galatians 6, 9 says, We'll reap if we don't give up. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this letter to the Colossians. God, we began this quite a while ago, and Lord, COVID kind of gave us an extended run. But Lord, we are thankful that we are able to see this through, to complete it. I thank you, Lord, for what you've given us next, for what you're going to teach us next. But God, I pray that we would just take a moment now and consider are we a people who are paying attention to the ministry that's been given to us lord these people that we read about this morning they were faithful they were faithful to this ministry they were faithful lord to um, being by paul's side even demas lord who in the end will see abandon paul but lord here recognized I pray that we would learn from his mistake. And Lord, I pray that we would aim to be faithful companions. 
It really is an uncommon friendship. Lord, when you see people who are willing to be jailed for each other because it's the right thing to do. When you see a pastor, Lord, who can cry out to the church and say, devote yourselves to prayer because your minister does the same thing. He wrestles for you. God, I pray that these are the kind of people we would be. Ultimately, Jesus, we want to be like you. Help us to grow.